Chapter Nine, Part Two of the Shades of the Wilderness. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Shades of Wilderness by Joseph A. Altscheller. Chapter Nine, In Society, Part Two. Harry soon learned that a large number of English and French newspapers had been brought by a blockade runner to Wilmington, North Carolina, and had just reached the capital. The news of which these men were discussing with eagerness. We learn that the sympathies of both the French and English governments are still with us, said Randolph. But these papers were all printed before the news of Vicksburg and Gettysburg had crossed the Atlantic, said Daniel. England is for us, said Pigram only because she likes us little and the north less the french imperialists too hate republics and are in for anything that will damage them when we beat off the north until she's had enough and set up our own free and independent republic we'll have both england and france annoying us and demanding favors because they were for us in the war sympathy is something but it doesn't win any battles a nation has no real friend except itself said bagby Whatever the South gets, she'll have to get with her own good right arm. I can predict the first great measure to be put through by the Southern government after the war. What will it be? The abolition of slavery. Why, that's one of the things we're fighting to maintain. Exactly so. You're willing to throw away a thing of your own accord when you're not willing to throw it away because another orders you to do so. Wars are due chiefly to our misunderstanding of human nature. Then Pegram turned suddenly to Harry. You're from the field, he said. From the Army of Northern Virginia? Yes, replied Harry. My name is Kenton, and I'm a lieutenant on the staff of General Lee. My friend is George Dalton, also of the Commander-in-Chief's staff. Are you from Kentucky? asked Daniel curiously. Yes, from a little town called Pendleton. Then I fancy that I've met a relative of yours. I returned recently from a small town in North Georgia. The name of which I may not give, owing to military reasons necessary at the present time, and I met while I was there a splendid, tall man of middle years, Colonel George Kenton of Kentucky. That's my father, said Harry eagerly. How was he? I thought he must be your father. The resemblance, you know. I should say that if all men were as healthy as he looked, there would be no doctors in the world. He has a fine regiment and he'll be in the battle that's breeding down there grant has taken vicksburg as we all know but a powerful army of ours is left in that region it has to be dealt with before we lose the west and it will fight like the army of northern virginia said harry i know the men of the west the yankees win there most of the time because we have our great generals in the east and they have theirs in the west i've had that thought myself said bagby We've had men of genius to lead us in the East, but we don't seem to produce them in the West. People are always quoting Napoleon, saying that men are nothing. A man is everything, which I never believed before, but which I'm beginning to believe now. And then the talk veered away from battle and back to social, literary, and artistic affairs, to all of which Harry and Dalton listened eagerly. Both had minds that responded to the more delicate things of life. And they were glad to hear something besides war discussed it was hard for them to think that everything was going on as usual in europe that new books and operas and songs were being written 
and that men and women were going about their daily affairs in peace and yet both were destined to live to see that case reversed the people of the states setting the world an example in moderation and restraint while the governments of europe were deluging that continent with blood if this war should result in our defeat said bagby we won't get a fair trial before the world for two or three generations and maybe never why asked dalton because we're not a writing people oh yes there's poe i know the nation's greatest literary genius but even europe honored him before the south did we've devoted our industry and talents to politics oratory and war we don't write books and we don't have any newspapers that amount to much why as sure as i'm sitting here the moment this war is over new england and new york and pennsylvania particularly new england will begin to pour out books telling how the wicked southerners brought on the war what a cruel and low people we are the way in which we taught our boys when they were strong enough how to beat slaves to death and the whole world will believe them maybe the next generation of southerners will believe them too why asked harry why why because we don't have any writers and won't have any for a long time the writer has not been honored among us any fellow with a roaring voice who can get up on the stump and tell his audience that they're the bravest and best and smartest people on earth is the man for them you know that old story of andy jackson somebody taunted him with being an uneducated man so at the close of his next speech he thundered out e pluribus unum multum in parvo sic temper tyrannus so it was all over old andy to that audience and all the others that heard it was the greatest latin scholar in the world but that may apply to the north too objected harry so it would nevertheless they'll write this war and they'll get their side of it fastened on the world before our people begin to write but if we win we won't care said randolph success speaks for itself you can squirm and twist all you please and make all the excuses for it that you can think up but there stands success glaring contemptuously at you you're like a little boy shooting arrows at the sphinx and thus the conversation ran on both harry and dalton were glad to be in the company of these men and to feel that there was something in the world besides war all the multifarious interests of peace and civilization suddenly came crowding back upon them harry remembered pendleton with its rolling hills green fields and clear streams and dalton remembered his own home much like it in the valley of virginia not so far away do you remain long in richmond asked randolph a week at least replied harry then you ought to see a little of social life mrs john curtis a leading hostess gives a reception and a dance tomorrow night i can easily procure invitations for both of you and i know she'd be glad to have two young officers freshly arrived from our glorious army of northern virginia but our clothes said dalton we have only a change of uniform apiece and they're not fresh by any means all the men laughed you don't think that richmond is indulging in gorgeous apparel do you said daniel we never manufactured much ourselves and since all the rest of the world is cut off from us where are the clothes to come from even for the women brush up your uniforms all you can and you'll be more than welcome two gallant young officers from the army of northern virginia why you'll be two othellos though white of course harry glanced at dalton 
and Dalton glanced at Harry. Each saw that the other wanted to go, and Daniel, watching them, smiled. I see that you'll come, he said, and so it settled. Have you quarters yet? Not yet, replied Harry, but we'll see about it this afternoon. I'll have the invitation sent to you here at this hotel. All of us will be there, and we'll see to it that you two meet everybody. Both thanked him profusely. They were about to go, thinking it time to report to General Winder, when Harry noticed a thin woman in a black dress carrying a large basket and just leaving the hotel desk. He caught a glimpse of her face, and he knew that it was the old maid of the train. Then something else was impressed upon his mind, something which he had not noticed at their first meeting, but which came to him at their second. He had seen a face like hers before, but the resemblance was so faint and fleeting that he could not place it, strive as he would. But he was sure that it was there. Who is that woman? he asked. Daniel shook his head, and so did Randolph, but Bagby spoke up. Her name is Henrietta Carden, he said, and she's a seamstress. I've seen her coming to the hotel often before, bringing new clothes to the women guests, or taking away old ones to be repaired. I believe that the ladies account her most skillful. It's likely that she'll be at the Curtis house in a surgical capacity tomorrow night as a quick repairer of damaged garments. Those fine linen and silk and lace affairs that we don't know anything about. Mrs. Curtis relies greatly upon her, and I ought to tell you, young gentlemen, that Mr. Curtis is a most successful blockade runner, though he takes no personal risk himself. The Curtis house is perhaps the most sumptuous in Richmond. You'll see no signs of poverty there, though. As I told you, officers in old and faded clothes are welcome. Harry saw Henrietta Carden carrying the large basket of clothes go out at a side door, and he felt as if a black shadow, like a menace, had passed across the floor. But it was only for an instant. He dismissed it promptly as one of those thoughts that come out of nothing, like idle puffs of summer air. He and Dalton bade a brief farewell to their new friends, and left for the headquarters of General Winder. An elderly and childless couple named Lanham had volunteered to take two officers into their house near Capitol Square, and there Harry and Dalton were sent. They could not have found a better place. Mr. and Mrs. Lanham were quiet people, who gave them an excellent room and a fine supper. Mrs. Lanham showed a motherly solicitude, and when she heard that they were going to the Curtis Ball on the following night, she demanded that their spare and best uniforms be turned over to her. I can make them look fresh, she insisted, and your appearance must be the finest possible. No, don't refuse again. It's a pleasure for me to do it. When I look at you two, so young and strong, and so honest in manner and speech, I wish that I had sons too, and then again I'm glad I have not. Why not, Mrs. Lanham? asked Harry. Because I'd be in deadly fear lest I lose them. They'd go to war, and I couldn't help it, and they'd surely be killed. We won't grieve over losing what we've never had, smiled Mr. Lanham. That's morbid. Harry and Dalton did their best to answer all the questions of their hosts, who they knew would take no pay. The interest of both Mr. and Mrs. Lanham was increased when they found that the young guests were on the staff of General Lee, and before that had been on the staff of the great Stonewall Jackson. These two names were mighty in the South, untouched by any kind of malice or envy, and with legends to cluster around them as the years passed. 
and you really saw stonewall jackson every day said mrs lanham you rode with him talked with him and went into battle with him i was in all his campaigns mrs lanham replied harry modestly but not without pride i was with him in every battle even to the last chancellorsville i was one of those who sheltered him from the shells when he was shot by our own men alas what an awful mistake i he stopped suddenly he had choked with emotion and the tears came into his eyes mrs lanham saw and understanding she quickly changed the subject to lee they talked a while after supper called dinner now and then they went up to their room on the second floor it was a handsome room containing good furniture including two single beds their baggage had preceded them and everything was in order two large windows open to admit the fresh air looked out over richmond on a table stood a pitcher of ice water and glasses our lot has certainly been cast in a pleasant place said dalton taking a chair by one of the windows you're right said harry sitting in the chair by the other window the lanhams are fine people and it's a good house this is luxury isn't it george old man the real article we seem to be having luck all around and we're going to a big ball tomorrow night too who'd have thought such a thing possible a week ago and we've made friends who'll see that we're not neglected it's an absolute fact that we've become the favorite children of fortune no earthly doubt of it then ensued a silence broken at length by a scraping sound as each moved his chair a little nearer to the window close george said harry at length yes it's a bit hard to breathe when fellows get used to a thing it's hard to change fine room though and those are splendid beds great on a winter night you've noticed how the commander-in-chief himself seldom sleeps under a tent but takes his blankets to the open wonder how an indian who has roamed the forest all his life feels when he's shut up between four walls for the first time fancy it's like a prison cell to him think so too but the lanhams are fine people and they're doing their best for us do you think they'd be offended if i were to take my blankets and sleep on the grass in the backyard of course they would you mustn't think of such a thing after this war is over you've got to emerge slowly from barbarism do you remember whether at supper we cut our food with our knives and lifted it to our mouths with forks or just tore and lifted it with our fingers we used knife and fork each in its proper place i happened to think of it and watched myself you i suppose did it through the force of an ancient habit recalled by civilized surroundings i'm glad you remember about it now i'm going to bed and maybe i'll sleep i suppose there's no hope of seeing the stars through the roof none on earth but my bed is fine and soft we'd be all right if we could only lift the roof off this house i'd like to hear the wind rubbing the boughs together stop it you're making me homesick you've got no right to be pining for blankets and the open when these good people are doing so much for us each stretched himself upon his bed and closed his eyes they had not been jesting altogether so long a life in the open made summer skies at night welcome and roofs and walls almost took from them the power of breathing but the feeling wore away after a while and amid pleasurable thoughts of the coming ball both fell asleep end of chapter nine part two